today's Bible reading is taken from Genesis chapter 1, verses 24 to 31, which can be found on page 2 of your Black Bibles. And God said, Let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds, the livestock, the creatures that move along the ground, and the wild animals, each according to its kind. And it was so. God made the wild animals according to their kinds, the livestock according to their kinds, and all the creatures that move along the ground according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God he created them, male and female he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Just going to uh, throw up a picture of a very fine group of uh, gentlemen on the screen behind me. Uh, These guys, if uh, they're up there, yes they are. Um, They are the... Actually, I'll move over here so I don't distract you too much. They are the... uh, the Bloodhound Gang, uh, probably you listen to them on your um, podcast all the time. They're a, an American hip-hop uh, punk rock band and they published a song uh, some years ago called The Bad Touch. The chorus of that song went like this. You and me, baby, ain't nothing but mammals, so let's do like they do on the Discovery Channel. Okay, now they're making a really crass point uh, that we're no different to any other animal on the planet, therefore we ought to operate without moral compass, just do whatever we feel like doing. Now you might say to me, Paul, I'm not sure it's really smart to go for our, you know, our insight into human nature and the nature of the way we should operate from a hip-hop band, you know, a punk rock group. These may not be the guys that I go to for my philosophy and meaning of life. But of course you know, if you're like me, that these guys are merely echoing a view that is held by 20th and 21st century intellectuals. Uh, This is a popular academic position. So a guy like uh, Peter Singer, who's the professor of bioethics at Princeton University, uh, an Australian by birth, he is a brilliant evolutionary biologist and ethicist, and he's also a prolific author. You can see some of his books on the screen he said this in one of, his, uh, one of the books he's written. To give preference to the life of a being simply because that being is a member of our species would put us in the same position as racists who give preference to those who are members of their own race. And you understand what he's saying at this point? There is no essential difference between human beings and any other animals on the face of the planet. And to believe that there is, right, is to be the equivalent of racist. It's to be specist. That is, to 
favour one species over another. So Peter Singer, he's, he's basically saying, if you, if you favour, if you see this distinction between the human race and animals, then you're being species, the equivalent of being racist. Now, we actually know that human beings, humanity, uh, we are an enigma. We're capable of extraordinary things. We're capable of love, of creativity, of communication, of uh, a level of developmental thinking over a period of time that marks us out. We're capable of compassion, of goodness, of generosity. But we also know that unlike any other animal on the planet, we're capable of being extraordinarily malicious and cruel and unkind. We're this funny combination. Now, when we get to Genesis chapter 3, what you discover at that point is people in rebellion against God, which explains a lot of the reason why there are problems both in the human heart and in the nature of the created order uh, that we exist in. What I want to do today, though, is not jump to Genesis chapter 3. I want to focus our attention on that last part of Genesis chapter 1 and look at what it means to be human. What does it mean to be made in the image of God? Who are we in the created economy of God's purposes? Okay, that's what we're focusing on. Now, if you were here last week, you'll know that um, when you go through Genesis chapter 1, God is clearly the hero of the account. Uh, he exists before all things, he sustains all things, he has made all things. He is mentioned 35 times in this chapter, highlighting the fact that he is central. And you know from reading chapter 1 that God is good, he is generous, he is kind, and that is reflected in everything that God has made. Uh, the world is not a random accident of nature Uh, We aren't just uh, atoms in a meaningless universe just floating along. Uh, Everything God has made has purpose, and that includes humanity. And in fact, the way that Genesis 1 is written makes it clear that humanity is at the apex of all that God has made. Now, I want to take you back uh, to this chapter just so you can see the way in which we are so centrally positioned as human beings in the framework. Non-human creation in this chapter is defined by its relationship to human beings. Uh, You see that with uh, the plants, with the animals, but also with the planets. Uh, You go to verse 14 and we're told about the moon and the sun being created. But I want you to notice that they're not cosmologically defined. Uh, They're created to mark out the seasons and the calendar to create order. Now, that is actually for the benefit of people, of human beings. So there's a very human-centric view of what's going on here. Did you notice on day six of creation, we we would have picked this up more if we read the whole chapter, but when you get to day six and the creation of human beings and animals, there's like a, um, a key change in a song. Now, let me be totally honest with you at this point. I do not have a musical bone in my body, right? I, I cannot hold a chin and I cannot play an instrument. But even I know that when there is a key change in a song, it is to make a big point or to stress a key idea. It's, it's a, a change with that sort of purpose in mind. When you get to day six, everything slows down for emphasis. Uh, there's a stack more words that are used to describe what happens on day six. 
And that's because day six is more significant. Uh, it has, um, it's a culmination of all that's going on. And when you get to day six, you see a very clear distinction being made between animals and humans. You go to verse 24 and God says, let the land produce living creatures. But then you get to verse 26 and God says, let's make man in our own image. Uh, There's uh, a closer and more personal interest in humanity. Uh, The literary structure uh, places humanity right in the middle. Uh, Verses 24 and 25 are all about the animals. When you get to verses 29 and 30, there's a provision of food uh, for animals and also for human beings. But in this central section, verses 26 to 28 of day 6, it's all about humanity. And even when it comes down to the detail of particular words that are used, this same distinction is being highlighted. Uh, As you go through chapter 1, there are two different words that are used for God's creative work. So in our English version, at points you've got God made and at other points you've got God created. Okay, now they reflect different Hebrew words in the text. So God makes in chapter 1 verse 7 or again in verse 16 or verse 25. It talks about the, the expanse, the lights, the animals. God makes those things. But notice... In verse 1 of chapter 1, we're told God creates the heaven and the earth. Then when you get to verse 27, three times it talks about God creating humanity. Creating, creating, creating. Now as I say, these reflect two different Hebrew words. The word for make in Genesis 1 is asar and the word for create is bara. Okay, now you might think, do I really need a Hebrew lesson this time on a Sunday morning? And no, you don't really. But let me tell you why I'm drawing attention to that. Uh, what is the difference between make and create? When I got up this morning, right, I made my bed. Actually, I didn't make my bed. But if, I'd, <laughs> but if, I, if I'd been a good boy, I would have made my bed, right? But as you can tell, I didn't have a lot invested in that task <laughs> to the point where I didn't even do it, right? Um, Make is that sort of word here in Genesis chapter 1. When we come to create, though, there's a different sense of uh, involvement or engagement. Uh, My son-in-law is an artist. He never says to me, I made a painting. He creates a painting because he actually invests of himself and his abilities into that particular activity and task. It reflects who he is. There's that sort of distinction being made here in Genesis chapter 1. Three times in verse 27, we're told God creates man. God created him. Male and female, he created them. We are special and the very apex of the plan of God. Now, what I've done is just tried to draw attention to the literary clues, if you like, that highlight why humanity is special in the plan of God. But then here in verse 27, right at the centre of day six, it's all spelt out very explicitly. Look again in verse 27. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. What does it mean to be created 
in the image of God. Created in the image of God. See, when I jumped up to, to preach this morning or lead Lord's Supper, did you think, Paul Harrington really reminds me of God, right? You know, because I'm made in the image of... Is that, what does it mean to be made in the image of God? Different ideas have been put out over the years as to the, the distinct nature of humanity uh, from physical appearance or intelligence, uh, the ability to reason, personality, uh, communication, the capacity for relationships, our creativity, all sorts of um, indicators or symptoms, if you like, of what it means to be made in the image of God. But, you know, the best, best way to always work out these sort of questions is to look very closely at the context uh, when, when these ideas appear to actually explain what's going on. So let, let's do that together. Now let's look at these, and particularly verse 27, and it surrounds... What does it mean to be created in the image of God? It's very clear that it means there's a unique relational capacity both with God and with one another. Notice in verse 27 we're told uh, male and female, he created them. And you might go, oh, that's just sort of descriptive. You know, uh, there are men and women on this planet and even in our um, gender fluidity sort of world, there's still that sort of biological distinction that we're aware of. The animal world is also made male and female, true? But notice here in Genesis 1, no attention is drawn to male and femaleness in the animal world. That's not described as you go through, but it is described when it comes to human beings. Um, humans are created with relational significance with one another and also to reflect the very nature of God uh, by the fact that we are male and female. But we're also created for relationship with God. And again, that comes through in the distinction between animals and people. Notice uh, verse 24. God says, let the land produce living creatures. But then look at verse 28 with regard to people or humanity, God blessed them and... Notice what comes straight after there? God blessed them and said to them. You see, God speaks directly to human beings. There is personal relationship that he's establishing here and it's unlike any other creature on the face of the planet. We're made for relationship... But also notice there is a delegated authority and responsibility in the created order that's entrusted to humanity. Uh, verse 26. We're to rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, over all the creatures that move along the ground. Or in verse 28, we're told to subdue the earth and to rule over it. Uh, we're given both... Uh, privilege and responsibility by God. God entrusts his good creation in this world to us. We're to enjoy it because it's good. That comes through very clearly in this chapter. But we're also to care for it or superintendent. Um, God has given it to humanity on trust to manage it in line with the creator's intentions. 
Right? That, that requires us to be good caretakers or stewards of all that God has created. Now, there are complications attached to that as we live in a uh, post-Genesis 3 world, a world which is in rebellion against God. There are implications that roll out for the created order and ourselves. But nonetheless, we still have that responsibility in this world. What I'd like to do now is to actually just tease out for a few moments what it means uh, to be made in the image of God. What are the implications that flow from it? Uh, Three things as as we wrap up. First is, what we're identifying here is that humanity has a dignity and a value. Uh, Peter Singer says that we have no more value as human beings than a pet dog or a chicken. That's essentially his worldview. Um, But when you look at Genesis chapter 1, it is very clear that we're not just the result of a random throw of an evolutionary dice. That is is clearly not the case. God says we are made in his image and that gives us intrinsic value and worth. Now what flows from that? Well, what flows is that we will not be utilitarian. Uh, That is, we won't value people because of what they can do or what they can give. We don't distinguish between people in terms of their value based on their gifts or their personality or their intelligence or their beauty or their success. But we actually view people as being made by God. We're all in his image. Now, that is why Christians have always been at the forefront of many social and um, humanitarian sort of concerns. Whether it um, is slavery several centuries ago, um, Christians were right at the forefront there, whether it's infanticide, uh, whether it's abortion, whether it's euthanasia, Christians have always been the ones who have wanted to speak out for those who cannot speak for themselves even though they have inherently great value because they are made in the image of God. And we see that being played out time and time again when you go through the scriptures. That presumption about the value of humanity is woven into almost every part of the scripture as it unfolds. I'm going to take you to to one example of that right now in James chapter 3 where this doctrine of being made in the image of God uh, speaks about um, the way we, we treat one another. Let me take it'll come up on the screen so you can look it up or uh, just look on the screen. So in James chapter 3, um, it's a letter written to a church. Um, he's correcting a range of ways in which they're not treating each other properly. When you get to chapter 3, the focus is particularly on the way we talk to one another, the way we use our tongue. Right? And in James 3 verses 9 and 10, this is what... Uh, we read. With the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse human beings who have been made in God's image or, or likeness. Out of the same mouth come praises and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Now, do you understand the argument that's being made here? There is an inconsistency between praising God with your tongue and cursing those whom God has made in his image. 
You see, there's, there's, there's that link there that doesn't give you permission to treat differently at that point. We cannot look down on those who are made in the image of God. Now, can I say, as a, an in-principle statement, probably everyone in this room goes, yeah, 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 yeah. Like, you know, like it's, a, it's a nod agreement. I get that. I do understand it. But I suspect most of us have blind spots uh, that we encounter at different points. Let me just throw out some suggestions. Just think, within, think about whether any of these uh, connect with you. When you're in town and you're walking down the mall or uh, Hindley Street or North Terrace or somewhere like that and you encounter a dishevelled beggar on the side of the road with their cap out, what do you do? What's, what's your instinct at that point? Do you find yourself skirting around them with a wide berth or averting your eyes or walking on the other side of the road? See, what I want to say is um, that person has been made in the image of God. They're as much in the image of God as you are and is valued by God. I'm just not saying that solves the issue of what you do but I am saying what is not open to you is to just treat them like they don't exist. Understand? And to disregard them as if they're the flotsam of humanity. How do you treat the beggar on the street? What about someone who is uh, physically or mentally disabled? Do you find yourself just allocating less engagement or time? Uh, because of their disability in some way. What about someone who's just poor? I mean, none of us are racist, of course. But are there nationalities that you find yourself just reacting to or having a view of? I was talking to a guy the other day who's a Hindu born in India. He said, um, he said to me, look, I want to say to you, not all Muslims are terrorists. He said, but all terrorists are Muslims. Now, it just highlighted his racism at that point. And I suspect many of us have those sort of qualities that are actually built into the very fabric of our being, whether we've inherited them or whatever. Uh, Maybe you find yourself uh, with less time for those who are ageing and who are declining in their abilities to do things. Or maybe you're careerist rather than speciesist. That is, you think in your heart of hearts that a doctor has more value than someone who's unemployed, which, of course, is just an insult to their creator. There are all sorts of ways in which we need to think this doctrine through. But can I say, if you dispense with God, it is natural to think about what people can do for me or how they contribute to the common good or how I measure up against others. If you dispense with God, your natural tendency will be to compare and contrast at that point. But if you know that you are made in the image of God and valued by God, that totally changes everything completely. It's interesting, Peter Singer, uh, his mother... His ageing mother contracted Alzheimer's in the late 90s, I think it was. 
she had made it very clear to her, her son and daughter that if she got to that stage and as that disease progressed, she would like to be euthanised. Um, that lined up very squarely with Singer's own view of what should happen because his mother would decline in her value to contribute in terms of relationships and society in a whole lot of ways and it would be inappropriate to expend too many of the world's resources on a person who is in that situation. Interestingly enough, uh, Singer and his, his sister spent hundreds of thousands of dollars preserving their mother's life as she went further and further into decline. There was a brave interviewer who asked Singer how he could maintain his theoretical view with his personal practice when it came to his mother. And this is what he said. He said, it's different when it's your mother. And see, I think intuitively, at that point, he knew the truth. And you, the truth that sort of eats away at all of us in terms of the value of people and their place in the scheme of things, made in the image of God. Second thing, much more briefly, is to be made in the image of God is linked with our responsibility to care in this world. Uh, the sixth day we share with animals, and uh, it's said that we have a very high crossover of uh, genome material uh, with the animal world. In fact, chimpanzees, it's said we, we have in common maybe 95% of the same sort of uh, genome at that point. But here is the big difference. Unlike animals, we are tasked with caring for creation. Uh, the animal world is not. Now, next week I'm going to return to the whole question of uh, work and rest in the scheme of the created order, uh, and I'll take this issue up again to some degree. But today let me make a couple of comments on caring for our environment. I feel like this is really important because it's such a political hot potato right now. Uh, not, in case you're wondering, I've had my tongue on my cheek. But the, um, clearly the, the whole question of environment and the way we care for it is, is very prominent. A few thoughts. Humanity historically has had a really bad track record in stewarding creation. Uh, we tend to manipulate it, uh, we tend to strip it to our own advantage and in fact quite often uh, the Christian worldview has been blamed for that result. Uh, that is a travesty of Genesis chapters 1 and 2. You cannot think that God created the world and entrusted it to people to wreck what he created. Like That is we're, we're instructed to be good stewards of this world, caretakers, uh, sub-tenants, what he's made. Now, what, what's implied by that is we're meant to look after it in line with the way in which he has made it. Uh, that is, we have an enormous amount to contribute uh, to this whole environmental debate uh, because we actually understand God's purposes. When it comes to the question of rule here in Genesis chapter 1, it is not exploitation and it is not greed. Right? It is rule with a view to... Um, looking after, caring for, um, taking responsibility for. Same idea when, when it talks about subduing it. It doesn't mean to rip it off. It means to care for it in a way that reflects God's own generosity and wisdom and goodness. Right? Those are the parameters that we're meant to think in. Let me come to the final thing that I just want to touch on before we conclude. 
I want to suggest that you cannot be fully human in this world unless you know your creator. I think it is actually by definition an impossibility to do that. Uh, I'm going to throw up a, um, a piece of artwork that I noticed on the wall of a doctor's surgery a few weeks ago. Uh, Sue and I have been spending a bit of time in doctor's surgeries lately and you're always looking for things to do while you're waiting for the doctor to come. So I was sitting in the surgery and noticed this print sitting opposite where we're sitting. Now what you'll work out if you have a look at it is, let me just preface this, right? I know as much about art as I do about music, right? just, just in case you're wondering, right? just so I'm really clear at this point. But even I can pick up some of the things in this, uh, this picture. It's a print, a stylized print of the Rundle Mall uh, you can see, possibly you can see, there's an eye that sits above the mall's balls and those balls are meant to represent teardrops from that eye. Uh, the picture is, is sterile, as it's, it's a desert situation and I think it's, the, it's trying to depict uh, the sadness of a culture that is gripped by materialism. Here we are in the mall. Uh, we're like pigs at the trough, um, the smoggy desert sort of landscape just highlights the environmental problems. You probably can't pick it up, but there is a mechanical arm to one side of the picture uh, plucking up a person who's actually a foreigner, uh, someone who is a foreigner to our lands to dispense with them. When we come to Genesis chapter 1, it is clear that we're made in the image of God. In Genesis chapter 3, we see how humanity rejects God and has rejected living in relationship with God and under his loving care. Uh, what we're, we're trying to do is to be God ourselves. And when we do that, sin, we destroy relationship with God, we destroy relationship with one another, uh, we destroy uh, the created order around us. Friends, you cannot have right self-image unless you serve the one who made you in his image. If you ignore God, then you lose identity and purpose as a human being. When you go to a place like Colossians chapter 1, we're told there very explicitly that Jesus is the image of the invisible God the image of the invisible God. Two things flow from that. Firstly, uh, when you look at Jesus, it shows you what it means to be truly human, uh, what that involves. But the second thing is, Jesus actually comes into this world as a reflection of the goodness and the grace and the mercy of God so that he will help us recover our true image and identity. And we've reflected on that as we've looked at the Lord's Supper this morning. You see, the reality is we all turn our back on God and we all need rescuing at that point and the restoration of our image, that is the restoration of our relationship with God. In Mark chapter 2, there's an interesting encounter between Jesus and a man who is a paralytic. Uh, Jesus is uh, teaching and healing. Uh, at this point in Mark chapter 2, he's in a house and the place is just packed out. Four guys turn up with a mate who is a paralytic on a stretch bed and they can't get anywhere near Jesus. So they climb up on the roof, make a hole in the roof, lower down their mate right into the middle of where Jesus is. Now, what do you think, what do you think these four friends 
and their paralyzed mate are hoping Jesus might do. Heal him. Right? He's been healing everybody. They're hoping he'll be able to walk. So this guy gets lowered down in front of Jesus and Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. How do you think this guy and his four mates felt at this point? You know, I reckon they were probably thinking, typical, go to a church, you uh, ask for a sandwich and you get a sermon. You know, like it's that sort of, what is going on here you know, at this point? You know? But of course, Jesus at this point is recognising the big, the big need for this man is restored image. And the key to restored image is forgiveness and relationship with God. His physical healing is not irrelevant, but it isn't the priority. Jesus then goes on and enables the man to walk so he can leave. But understand that restored relationship is the key to being fully human. You cannot have true identity unless you understand what it means to be made in the image of God and have a restored relationship with the one who made you. Now, friends, you and me are nothing but mammals. Uh, so much more. Friends, you have been made in the image of the God who made the universe. And you are valued and precious and have purpose in his sight. He's made you for a relationship with himself. Uh, that is an extraordinarily wonderful privilege that we all have. It also gives us an amazing calling and purpose and clarity about what it means to live as people in this world. You can't have that unless you have that relationship with God. Let me pray for us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a, a gracious God. Uh, you're a God who has made us so wonderfully. And even in the face of our rebellion against you, uh, you send your son into this world uh, to recover us. Uh, to have us restored in image in our relationship with you and for service in your world. Uh, Father, we pray you help us to uh, ponder these things well, uh, to understand them. Uh, to keep adopting your view of us, uh, your view of the people around us, and in particular that we might point people to you so that they might understand uh, the wonderful plan and purpose you have for them as forgiven people and for all eternity. Father, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.